back for the third and final part in our conversation, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the death of Superman. Uh, this is Ace Comicals, the death and return of Superman part three. So we're finally at the end. Um, so how do we feel, guys, having made it through the sort of like, this is, this is it now. This is like, this is that little bit before the finish line, like at the end of the marathon. So. Um, I'm joined by, as always, my regular co-host, Leon and Rahul, and uh, special guest, Marv. How you doing, Marv? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, how, ready how you to, feeling? Uh, I'm ready to uh, hand in my Superboy fan club membership. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand how it took you this long, to be honest. I'm telling you, his his like the standalone comics when he when he finally moves to Hawaii and starts doing his own thing, he at least in my memory, maybe I'm you know talking through nostalgia goggles. He's a lot less horrific. <laughs> does, he, does he stop being such a sleaze when he moves? Yeah, to Hawaii? yeah. It's, it's just sort of lovable ribbing, not just full frontal assaults on Michelle Pfeiffer. Maybe maybe I'll have to smash the uh, rose tinted glasses on that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, um, so we are here to round off our discussion on um, the death and return of Superman. Um, so we are going to be reading the arc, well, we're going to be discussing the arc that deals with Superman's return. Um, so the the death and return of Superman event, if you remember that, uh, as I've discussed in previous episodes of this, is split into four parts. Um some places only split it into three parts and what they do is they put um the return of superman as part of reign of the supermen um but i've divided it into four as the new trade paperbacks that are available on shelves right now have it divided so i've done it in that way because that's easier for what's actually on the shelves right now and that's what you would be able to buy if you haven't read this yet and you're reading as you're listening or whatever so it goes doomsday um and then it goes which is the death of superman doomsday is the death of superman bit that's the bit where superman dies um and then you've got funeral for a friend and then you've got reign of the superman and then you've got superman's return which is when superman finally comes back um and there is an additional part to this um which is a, a, a um it's collected in a tpb called doomsday not to you know just to confuse matters it's also called doomsday but it's called doomsday sons the exclamation mark so the first arc of death and return of superman is called doomsday and then there's this epilogue that's also called doomsday um confusingly carries the same name uh and it's a sequel epilogue where superman basically ends up having a rematch with doomsday some consider it part of the saga but we won't be covering it um i think as far as superman return um as far as Superman's return is a pretty tidy way, a pretty tidy conclusion for the whole thing. Um, and I think that's where, that's where it ends for me anyway. Um, and I don't, I don't, I think all of the rest of it is supplementary and I don't think you particularly have to pick that up in order to get the full idea of what's going on or anything. I'm not as evangelical about this as I am about Nightfall. Um, as you'll remember, I made everyone read everything. <laughs> <laughs> for nightfall but i'm not doing it this time so yeah um doomsday which is like the epilogue stuff 
it collects um, a bunch of material from across um, several years. So it starts with um, do the Doomsday Annual number one, which is from 1995. Um, it also collects Doomsday Wars 1 to 3 from January 1999 and um, Doomsday Super, Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey, which is from April 1994. So it's, it's all this subsequent material that deals with the fallout of the death and return of Superman and um, probably gives you a bit more context and a bit more of what Doomsday is, etc. You know, Superman gets a chance to have a rematch against Doomsday and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, um, yeah, so once you've read Return of Superman, you can read that if you want to. It is, when you buy the trades now, so this is this is a separate trade on its own. You can buy this separately as a trade that goes with the rest of Death and Return of Superman. DC released it that way, but I don't think it's necessarily necessary. If that makes sense. Um, so where we're starting with um, the Death and Return of Superman, what we're covering today comics-wise is um, <clears throat> Action Comics 689 to 692, Action Comics Annual Number 5, Adventures of Superman 503 to 505, The Adventures of Superman Annual Number 5, Green Lantern Number 46, Superman 80 to 83 and Superman Man of Steel 24 to 26. Um, Superman would return to us in Action Comics 689 in July of 1993, which is where this, this, this portion of the story begins. Superman's return begins there. Um, so, guys, um, first of all, let's get first impressions on Superman's return. So. Like, do we, I mean, it, for me, slightly underwhelming. Like, I wasn't as, I mean, I've, I've so we've had, um, we've had Superman's death. We've had a world without Superman. We've had these um, four um, pretender Supermen who represent kind of like the four facets of Superman in different ways and kind of, um, in an attempt to replace Superman, but none of them can fully step into his shoes because none of them are the whole. Um, this is what we discussed last time. We discussed Reign of the Supermen. So these four modern Supermen, you had a fascist, a young punk, a cyborg, and more down-to-earth hero to which we could attach some more pathos. That was the last son of Krypton. Um, Superboy, Cyborg Superman, and Steel. And... We discussed them in the context of what was happening in the industry with the boom in the 90s and everything else, uh, the, boot, the sales boom and all of that stuff. Um, but, like, I found that Superman's return for me, because, because it was such a slow drip feed thing anyway, and you kind of knew it was going to be happening as soon as um, you had that stuff with um, Clark's father and Korea and the weird kind of like near-death experience that he had with it, with the heart attack and everything like that whole that whole thing in the comic there as soon as that happened and he supposedly dragged superman back superman spirit back from the brink of you know the afterlife or whatever um 
you kind of knew this was going to happen anyway. And it was slowly drip fed up to this point. You were just waiting for it, basically. They were just buying time with these other four supermen in my head and in the way that it read to me. And you were just like waiting for the slow drip to fill the glass. I don't know if anyone else felt the same way. Marv, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I echo what you felt in terms of the um, the actual return feeling, you know, a little bit underwhelming. But I think um, with what you were saying, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Park Kent dragging him back and, you know, that signalling at the height of the drama, you're like, oh, no, he's definitely going to come back at some point. I think there's a world, because I think it's just generally um, across the whole return of Superman and the whole arc as a whole, I'm saying whole way too much. Um, it's a failure in terms of the type of storytelling. Because I think there's a world where you have the, oh, Park Kent brought his spirit back. And then all of a sudden, these four Supermen come back. And who could it be? Who's the real one? Are any of them the real one? You know, you could, you know, tighten up the storytelling and, and, and have that mystery play out as an actual mystery throughout the comic. I think it's a mistake to, at the very beginning of the Return of Superman arc, be like, oh, the, the Matrix, um, the healing Matrix opens up, and there's Clark Kent with the Fortress of Solitude telling you, this is exactly who Clark Kent is, and the other four are definitely fakes. Um, and then just after that, you have, like, everyone's backstories explained by, like, side characters. It's like Cyborg um, Superman's uh, origin story is told by an alien who hacks into some data files on Mongol's ship jumping ahead. You've got like um eradicator story just randomly dropped to you by one of the robots in the Fortress of Thology. And you're like, well, it's kind of like we've had two hours of build-up and at the end of the movie it, it's like, oh by the way, uh, Moriarty did it this way, that way, and that way, and that's how Sherlock Holmes got him. You know, it's it's Yeah. I kind of felt like you could have done what they were attempting better if they'd have told the story in a more I don't know, like a story. <laughs> Everything felt like an afterthought, like there were bolting pieces on afterwards Definitely. to try and to try and justify things. Hmm. Which is, I think, what you're getting at with like, it's, it's almost like they made things to fit the shoe. They yeah. built the foot to fit the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Like I think somewhere um, in the like design phase of like is, if you if you imagine that they did design it in three or four chunks like the uh, the omnibuses are uh, you know set out yeah. as um, it, when they got to this final one the return of Superman um, they got into the meeting and they threw a picture of Superman all in black with two giant guns and bandoliers and they're like right so how do we get to this point. <laughs> We're going to get onto that later when we start discussing the uh, the failed Superman lives, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, or something similar to that. Anyway, um, so Ray, uh, let's have your thoughts, and you've got some stuff to chime in about last episode as well, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that at some point. Um, but like Marv, I'm really pleased to hear you say that you consider it as a as a fan of, or at least. Hmm putting words in your mouth, but I was going to say as a fan of this story in, in a way that I'm not, or at least a fan of the DC universe and like a child of the 90s who read comic books in the 90s in a way that I wasn't. I'm really pleased to hear you say that you kind of felt like it was a failure of storytelling, storytelling, because mm. I'm finding it really hard to separate my feelings from, as you say, like the story just didn't work for me and it's a failure of storytelling and like the way that's paced out or whatever. Um, and also like being overwhelmed or lost by the format, because I don't think I'm like, I, I really struggle to enjoy these long-form serialized comics, particularly from the 90s. Mm. And also that I just wasn't there, and I'm kind of looking at this with somewhat indifferent hindsight. So, like, 
the thing that I was the least confident about was, is this just a poorly told story or at least in part? And so, yeah, it makes me feel a bit better to hear you say that because I, I struggle to know which element of it is the thing that doesn't work for me. And I think it's a combination of all of them. But like, yeah, I generally struggle to enjoy these these 90s long form comics and like particularly DC and particularly Superman because like more so than Batman where at least like I've read enough Batman and I it's a closed enough ecosystem of villains that even in Nightfall where there's a large set of rogues you know they're easy to grok at least like you kind of understand their larger than life motivations and whatever I don't really understand what what, what really were the stakes of this story and like Death of Superman overall has been kind of a frustrating read because, and again, it's not entirely the book's fault because I take it kind of as a personal failure that I can't enjoy these things the way that you guys can. Um, and like, yeah, Greg, I listened to the Reign of Superman episode and like I could listen to you talk about comics history for hours and like I really appreciated the context for this run. But at the same time, that's kind of a double edged sword because it's committing a really cardinal sin for me, which is it's this book is demanding that I do homework and I don't want to do homework on my off time. You know what I mean? And like that context you were giving of creating a, like a slew of new heroes or like opening up this, this world and like creating a template where you could hopefully trigger the speculative market to sell all these new number ones for these new heroes or whatever. Explain so much about how diluted this otherwise like potentially great story feels right because i love what you were saying that concept of superman being broken into his facets in isolation and how he himself the the superman we know is the perfect form but like i just don't think that if that's the thesis of the book i don't think it really gels together at the end and like there's stuff that i like i like the bones of eradicator's arc i like like superboy's growth over the course of the story but otherwise it's like there's too much lead up to not not that great a payoff and I don't know, that's that's sort of where I'm landing. But like, as ever with these ones, I'm kind of slightly divorced from it because I, I have to like openly admit I wasn't super excited to read this to begin with. So part of it is me going to sit very politely in the corner and listen to you guys say what you have to say about like your experience then and your experience now. And I'll chime in with, you know, I'll jump in on thoughts as, as they come up. Okay, and uh, we'll just move around to Leon to get Leon first impressions. Um, or you know, I mean, I'm guessing you, you've got history with this anyway, right? Yeah, but my history is more loose. I wouldn't say it is is as in depth as say yours is. Uh, at this point of the story as well, for me, it's like vibes. So there's like certain like issues and like bits and bobs that I've seen, but um, a lot of it is. A lot of it was sort of picked up by a mix of osmosis and like just stuff referring back to it uh, in later years. Uh, most of my like rereads and like um, reintroduction into all of this were were the previous arcs that we've covered on in the previous episodes. But yeah, some of this was semi new territory to me. But um, yeah, it's funny because from what's like been said. Uh, like I, I, I'll definitely say I'm maybe I can agree with both of what big elements of what uh, Marv and Rahul have said. Um, where I, I think that it's funny that we covered Nightfall first, uh, whereas like Nightfall feels like a 
way better take on like this type of event. It's like uh, a refinement of it. Yeah. And whereas like essentially they're both very cynical from a sort of suits and marketing standpoint, like let's destroy the main hero and then introduce a bunch of these other heroes and um like spin our wheels for like however many issues and months or whatever and then we'll bring the hero back in triumphant style. And there's, as, as listeners to the Nightfall episodes have heard, like there's many things about that which work and many things about that which don't work as well, especially as you get like later into the story. Um, and then there's this, some misgivings I have, not being the biggest fan of like Azrael and all that stuff. But like ultimately what it sets out to do it accomplishes but with some shaggy edges here and there and some questionable design choices whereas like here it becomes almost sprawling and sort of hints at an excess of this and part of me feels like they could have spun this for even longer and we're kind of lucky they didn't <laughs> but but there's so much like wheel spinning while the inevitable is happening in the background and as Marv said they the reintroduction of like Clark Soup's Back from the Dead is so like deflated compared to like what's come before and remember like I'm not even a big fan of House of Men Dies in this version um, so I feel like, like it's weird that they botched that in my eyes and then they botched the sort of return as well and then Later on, they botched sort of the reintroduction as well. It is weird how like monumentous this whole thing was and was meant to be, uh, but like falls flat on even some like basic sort of comics drama standards. Like it's for me, it's hard for me to imagine people who go hard for this storyline, like as a as a total thing in the same way that people can go hard for like nightfall. I just, I think it, it, it's near, almost easier for me to imagine someone going hard for, you know, the clone saga and oh, the clone saga is much worse, <laughs> and, but like um, one day, now, one day now, <laughs> thing is now I'm questioning, was it that bad? Cause I, <laughs> I read a lot of those comics and I was having fun with them, but um, yeah, like, here it's, it, I don't know, it, it's, it, it feels almost like a canvas for like, throw these designs at a wall and see what sticks, like see which character, uh, like whether they be good or rogues, see which one of those like, uh, hypes up the fan base as much as possible and then maybe we can create a run out of this. So they're just throwing all this stuff and... Like, uh, maybe I've been too harsh in previous episodes to do with this storyline, but man, I, I it just feels so generic, some of these characters. And like, there's characters who I completely forgot existed or didn't know existed. And I'm just like, why is this person here? Like, <laughs> what what like made, what role do they really play in steering, uh, steering the, the story or even on a character level? Like, how do they play into this? Why are they here? And often I found that question not to be answered um, in a quite a frustrating way. So I think like uh, just 
commenting on like the return and like my impressions on that rather than my uh my conclusion on the whole thing is that it is i know it just it starts on a an odd foot for me and there's a lot of uh a lot of missteps here but i, I wouldn't say it's all trash or anything like that but it, it just I, I found myself finding it hard to get in sync with this uh, book and i've got a bit more i've got less of a tolerance for it than you greg but then i've got yeah. more of a tolerance for it than rahul <laughs> so but like i found i found it like uh like difficult and like a lot of my pet peeves of this sort of era of uh big two superhero comics uh is that is evident as, as as i turn these pages um I found it at times to be a struggle to really care about the dramatic issue, even when some of the characters on those pages are characters who I've uh, had like decades of history with. So it, it, it is an odd one. It, um, and I, I'm keen to have us dig into bits that, that happen later on. But yeah, that's my overall overview of the beginning. Yeah, so, I mean, I... <clears throat> I feel like if you take um, the doomsday arc at the beginning, the death of Sh as the rapid inflating of the balloon, and if you if you think about what was happening at the time as well with like the media circus surrounding this, like the death of Superman was so big because people actually. There were people out there who actually believed that he wasn't coming back. And the way, I mean, like some, there's like, there was always like the jaded ardent comic book fans, which always seemed to be the people that they interviewed in the news clippings and whatever else who, who were always like, nah, I'll be back in six months, you know? And, but when you, when you look at how the news covered it and how, um, how big new, how big this was and the, the, the kind of like the media inflation of the whole thing, like people believed that this was the end and Superman wasn't going to come back. And that was how, and that was reflect like people that weren't, that were more casual about their comic book fandom and things like people that weren't necessarily serious comic book buyers and such weren't as cynical or jaded about it. actually believed that this would be the end of Superman. And that's why the comic sold as many copies as it sold, because that was, people thought they were going to make money out of that. But when you imagine it as a balloon, and you imagine like the inflation of the balloon being doomsday, and then um, you've got funeral for a friend, which is this beautiful balloon that's nice to kind of like play keepy uppy with and stuff. And then you've got like um, the first probably the first bit of um, reign of the Superman before it starts to drag, and before all the bloodline stuff gets gets in there and dirties the water um until until the bloodline stuff appears it's this beautiful balloon that's been inflated nicely and it's 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 going well but you know when you leave a balloon for ages and it starts to deflate on its own because the balloon instead of popping the balloon and like getting the last bit of fun out of the balloon by getting the nice loud pop noise what you're doing is you're just letting it slowly die in the corner and I think that's kind of what happens here, where the balloon just slowly deflates 
And by the time we get to Superman's return, like the full deflation of the balloon was already inevitable. We knew it was happening. And we're deflated as a result. And it's not a surprise. It's not it's not a, a yeah, fuck yeah moment or anything. It's just okay. <laughs> there he is in his black suit with his mullet. And it's not that I don't like it, it's just that I was very underwhelmed. That was my one criticism of it, it was how underwhelming that whole moment was when it should have been something grander and something more um something with more kind of like I don't know some something that hit a little bit harder. Like like when we compare this to, to Nightfall and we think about the moment that Batman comes back, I mean it takes training to bring Batman back to being Batman. We know there's this whole bit where he has to go back and train with all of his previous masters and things like that. Um, Bruce has to go around the world again and, and, and kind of like take a masterclass in everything that he already learned to kind of get back on it again. And then there's the point where he challenges himself to jump off the, the, um, the gargoyle. And mm. it, that, that just has so much more meaning and just feels so much more visceral and so much better than Superman climbing out of a regeneration chamber in the Fortress of Solitude and going, what's been happening while I've gone? Let's have a look at the TV. You know, it's just, <laughs> there's no... <laughs> the closest you get is um, Superman trapped inside of a walk-in tank at the bottom of the ocean for a couple of issues. That's his training arc. <laughs> oh, you mean you mean the, you mean the, the space marine... Um, yeah, the, the giant Warhammer, Terminator armor. So, yeah, the, the yeah. Warhammer forty k armor. <laughs> yeah, which I because say, it does look super forty k. <laughs> it looks super forty k, but it's actually like to me, I think it was two of the two of the prettiest pages in this entire four hundred and fifty page long comic. You know what mm. I mean? Like I because it was like it, it was doing the thing that I love, where it's silent and it's colorful, and like you can tell what's happening without it needing to use a million words. And like actually quite like those two pages, but I get I get your point. <laughs> Yeah, my... I have to remember to mention my favorite page um, later yeah. on, but carry on, Greg. Sorry, oh, I didn't well, mean to. I was gonna. I was just gonna tell you my favorite page. Oh, go on. <laughs> yeah, um, my favorite page is the destruction of Coast City. That is a great panel. That is a yeah. cool splash. I love yeah. love that explosion page. But yeah, um, so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna give you a brief synopsis of what the Return of Superman looks like. So um, there's this alien warship. It's getting closer to Earth. No one's seen it. It's it's not been noticed or picked up by any radar or anything like that. Um, and uh, there's these four replacement Superman running around. No one knows if any of them are the real Superman yet. Um, each have their own claim to the title. Um, Eradicator and Cyborg Superman are starting to turn a little bit heel and... Um, you're starting to see some sort of like cracks forming in, in them, like Eradicator's a little bit too violent. Cyborg Superman has something else that's weird going on on the back burner, which is to do with the ship that's coming closer to Earth. Um, and uh, you start to get this kind of like um, tension between the four of them. There's like this battle for supremacy. Um, and yeah, um, amidst all of this, um, because Eradicator took Superman's body from his tomb, um, and because uh, Eradicator was was pure energy, Eradicator. This is a, in the beginning of um, 
Reign of the Superman, where Eradicator goes to Superman's tomb as a being of pure energy and inhabits Superman's body, takes Superman's body back to the Fortress of Solitude and leaves it in the regeneration chamber. Um, and then out of that has formed his own body. So instead of just being a being of pure energy, he now has a solid form and can walk about in, in walk about in the world, but has to wear special sunglasses because the light hurts his eyes. Um, and throughout all that time, from, from that point onwards, Superman has actually been getting, um, is been regenerating in this chamber in the Fortress of Solitude by absorbing solar energy. Um, apparently he didn't fully die because there was enough solar energy left in his body to preserve his body so that when more solar energy was added, he was able to come back eventually, which is the way that they kind of explain it away. That's the short version of how they explain it away. Um, so yeah, you've got this, um, so we, we begin with Superman's return to form with this, this short amount of time, um, in his back in black with a mullet um and um we've got like this kind of like ultimate heel turn from cyborg superman who has these devastatingly evil intentions and the whole thing with him getting on the good side of the president and getting in with all the kind of like um the you know get, get being the patriot as it were was to get access to earth's defense systems and everything else and get all the data that he needs to be able to create this epic smokescreen so that he can hatch his plan, which is kind of like the ultimate revenge mud in the eye for Superman. Um, because it turns out that he is an astronaut. Well, he was a human astronaut who perceived um, what Superman did to him as a slight. Um it's it's complicated there's this whole fantastic four thing going on where he goes up into basically um dc try their hand at the fantastic four and this guy goes up uh with a crew and they come back and they've all got strange powers uh or they all get mutated in some way um and they die in various ways suicide and things um and he's the only one left and there's a there's a there's a whole thing with that where he now has these powers and Superman banishes him and he finds Mongol and he buddies up with Mongol and then they decide they're going to go back to Earth to get their revenge on Superman and turn Earth into a new war world. And uh, when they get there, Cyborg Superman gets there and finds that Superman is dead and assumes Superman's form and pretends to be Superman but at the same time is creating this epic smokescreen for Mongol to be able to do his part of the plan and build a massive engine on the side of the planet right where um, Coast City used to be <laughs> to turn Earth into a new war world, basically. Um, and yeah, so this is, this is uh, Hank Henshaw, by the way, is Cyborg Superman. And he's an, a NASA astronaut. He gets hit with a solar flare. Uh, it damages the ship and the crew. Um, Henshaw's wife is there as well, and their bodies begin to mutate. And um, it's yeah, it's this whole thing. I wanted um, to ask about this, if it's okay yeah. to interrupt here, but like he blames Superman mentioned... for the solar flare because Superman threw Eradicator into the sun, 
and that's what he thinks caused the solar flare that that turned his family into a Aldi version of the Fantastic Four. Right. So about that, the Fantastic yeah. Four thing. Like, yeah. I I know enough about comics to know that that was an allusion to Fantastic Four. But like, did that did that mean anything? Like, I, I felt like I was missing some context as to like, are they making a deliberate reference to a Marvel property and they wanted to do their spin on it? They wanted to be um, irreverent about it. They wanted to be, I, I don't know, sly about it. I, I felt like that didn't really amount to anything. It was just a, a reference for reference's sake. Or is there something I'm missing to that? I think I think it's it's what would amount to like an industry elbow in the ribs. It's like, hey guys, right. look what we're doing across the aisle, you know, pit like like a kind of like a coded piss take. I mean, okay. everyone everyone would have known it was the Fantastic Four, and people at the time would have gone, "Ha ha, that's the Fantastic Four. And so maybe it, it wasn't trying yeah. to be a commentary on the stories of Fantastic Four at that time or anything. No, no, not. No, I okay. don't think so at all. I think it, I think it's just like a. It's just one of those things where it was like a, a kind of like a elbow to the ribs, like check it out. Right, that's a big X next to that point. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't think it, it has any any other merit other than that. Than people would read it and go, <laughs> "DC are ripping on the Fantastic Four kind of thing," you know. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's this is where we are now. So um, it turns out that Cyborg Superman is is working with Mongol. They're doing this this thing in Coast City. Um, Cyborg Superman goes to Coast City after the explosion because this alien ship goes and this explosion happens because they drop a ton of bombs on Coast City and just completely level it, ready to turn it into Engine City. Um, and uh, Cyborg Superman, you know, under false pretenses, puts his little finger to his, his lip and he's like, oh no, um, I should go to Coast City now and try and fix the problem. And uh, Superboy goes with him. And while they're there, Cyborg Superman shows his true colors. Um, and I think Superboy barely makes it back. Uh, he gets captured for a while and then he escapes and he makes it back over to Metropolis um, and manages to um, to get Steel and Supergirl, I think. Um, and at this point as well, um, Clark is already making his way back to um metropolis in his um blood angels terminator armor from the fortress of solitude <laughs> and when clark gets back to metropolis there's the whole thing where it's like it really is you everyone discovers it's the real superman but he doesn't really fully have his powers back yet so he's now running around in a black suit with pouches and guns um with a big black mullet and um it's like um you kind of get treated to this this sort of like so you know you know like some of the kind of like the the like weird edgy super teams that were going on um around this sort of time like um again young bloods things like that you know like these 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 like um how super teams looked and 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 the kind of like the the zeitgeist at the time in regards to super teams in comics you kind of get a little bit of that going on and you get treated to this kind of like superman super team thing um but it's like the 90s superman super team instead of being superman supergirl uh, uh like crypto the super dog and whatever you've got this 90s superman super team which is superman steel supergirl and superboy but it's like superboy with attitude um and superman himself has got two big laser guns 
and some ammo belts or pouches or whatever like round him and it's it's all very uh it's all very of its time while still and... being a boy scout and spouting off always be prepared i thought that was a yes. nice touch to be honest yes yes yeah and they storm engine city and mm. um they eventually defeat cyborg superman and save the day with the help of green lantern who is um he's just you know he's just doing his thing and then he he goes down and realizes that coast city is no longer there gets very sad and angry about it and decides to try and take on mongol um and uh yeah so green lantern helps them out in this as well um superman is in a very vulnerable position cyborg superman decides that he's going to unleash the full energy of the kryptonite in the um because the, 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 the engine city is powered by kryptonite, so Cyborg Which Superman's like... Which, of course, like, it is. Superman's weakness. <laughs> so he's like, okay, I'm going to use this kryptonite to just finish you once and for all. And what it does instead is it gives him his powers back because it uh, Eradicator gets in the way and the kryptonite energy filtered through Eradicator, kind of like a Brita water filter, um, <laughs> fixes Superman... <laughs> Um, am I? Um, I, I think I'm correct in this. I mean, um, the way the way that I read it was like the crypt. It is a filtering, but it's yeah. like the the kryptonite hits Eradicator, and like you said, Eradicator kind of converted the energy. And yeah. because he was dying from the, you know, or you know, presumably thought he was going to die from the blast, used that moment to be like, I'm going to filter this energy through me and pass all of the energy that I stole from Superman in the first place back into back Clark. Him. Yeah, yeah. Which still, you know, it, it, me saying that doesn't mean, oh, I've I've figured yeah. this out and it makes perfect sense. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Whatever, the is... kryptonite hits him first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it fixes Superman and Superman gets his powers back. And then, you know, we get the, the, the epic battle to end it. And um, afterwards, it's all kind of like, yay, Superman's back. And Clark is just rebuilding his life because they donated all his shit and sold his flat. And... <laughs> everything else because they assumed he was dead <laughs> he even lost his desk and his job um and Honestly, everyone's offering him a place to stay which is nice perry white yeah. says i've got a sofa and whatever and you know um it's uh it's all very nice at the end and then they turn coast city into a monument um there's a basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to like it's the cleanup operation basically afterwards where they um they go to Coast City with some members of the Justice League and um, they are trying to clean it up and stop it from collapsing into the ocean, which Aquaman's not very happy about. Lex Luthor's there as well because Lex Luthor is pretending to be happy about Superman's return, but really isn't. Um, and Lex is like wanting to save Engine City so he can use it for his own ends. Um, NFTs, Tesla cars, whatever it is he plans to do with it. Um, and... Uh, he ends up almost dying because of that um because he he does something really silly and goes in there to try and get the the plans or whatever for the the use of kryptonite as a fuel or something um and what happens is they end up um decontaminating the wreckage before it falls into the ocean so it's not as dangerous and it can become a nice little coral reef and aquaman's not too sore about it and uh, what they also do at the same time is they turn they make a monument to all the people that died in Coast City, and that's pretty much where it ends. 
it's um, funny you laying it all out like that, Greg, because when I was reading this and like I I was having trouble keeping focus on it all and like when I encountered a character that I didn't really know, I sort of I didn't skim, but like I didn't pay as much attention as maybe I could have if I was like intently sitting down and like really pouring over all the pages. But like hearing you like lay out all of the beats in, in a row makes me realize that even when I was paying half attention, I basically got all of it. <laughs> like because yeah. the story doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't have that much to say ultimately. And I think my favorite bit is actually the ending, all the cleanup stuff, all the like um I don't know, him putting his life back together and like the, the character yeah. moments of him and Lois and all the all the other people. And like yeah. even just like the minutiae and the uh like the I don't know work bureaucracy of like how do we get rid of this contaminated island without putting it in the, the ocean and then they have to like scramble and <laughs> scrub it with their green lantern rings or whatever. Like yeah, all yeah. of that stuff I think was more interesting than all the build up. And yeah. I, I don't know it feels like a shame that the actual what should have been the meat of the story, which is the division of Superman's like facets and you know his persona um coming together and be like him being more than the sum of his parts like so yeah. squandered and i don't know i guess i will say i will mm. say i would take reign of superman over uh reign of the supermen over night quest any day oh 100 percent. it's yeah. it's the the way that the three you know I, I count it as three arcs death of superman reign of the superman and return of superman i know if yeah, you're for yeah. a friend is in there as well but like yeah. The way that the three arcs work, it's almost like an inversion of Nightfall, where like Nightfall starts really, really strong with like all of the Bane stuff, everything up to the backbreak, and then it dips real hard when you get to Night Quest, and then soars again when you get to Night's End, and then um, what's it? Death of Superman. It's like it starts in the gutter. You're like, oh, is this? He's just this is just happening oh i guess he's dead now and then you've got funeral for a friend and rain the superman and you're like oh we've got some really interesting concepts here it's really hitting you know some stuff that i can really sort of dig into and then you get return to superman and you're like oh yeah i, I guess it's done now but well, it's, it's, yeah. it's funny sorry no sorry uh, quickly rahul what you what you were saying about the uh the minutiae of the cleanup and like um sorting stuff out and everything hmm. I did love the the genius move of like using Matrix to become Clark Kent to sort of um, have a, a plausible deniability of having you know Superman and Clark Kent in the same place at the same yeah. time. Yeah, but see, also that stuff's fun. That's the stuff that you want from a story where like Superman dies and come back comes back and has to deal with like paperwork, <laughs> like exactly. how to prove to the world that he is. You know, how do you bring Clark back at the same time? Like all of that stuff was kind of cool. But that's yeah. um like the the that little snippet, just that tiny little snippet of like, uh, how do we figure this out? Oh, I know. I'll ask Supergirl to pretend to be Clark Kent and then reintroduce myself into the world, um, in a way that makes sense to everybody. That's mm. kind of everything that I was saying I wanted from the main story with the mystery mm. of who's the real Superman and how can we you know sort this all out and which Supermen are going to stay and which ones are going to die and everything. You you kind of get all of the drama that I was expecting of that from just this tiny little epilogue yeah. with like fake Clark Kent and real Superman. And, and what we got instead was um oh what's his name uh guy gardner fangirling over eradicator <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um so i mean like i do I, I what what you were saying marv about it being the climb because it starts low and then it climbs up so it's like the roller coaster right so it's like a roller coaster where it climbs up but instead of having the epic drop at the end where everyone goes ah waves their arms it just does like this slow kind of like incline <laughs> <laughs> and slowly just fizzles out again to level point so it's just instead a, of doing the you know it's an english know. train <laughs> it just gets you there eventually 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, English trains. I don't know if they, if they even get you there sometimes because sometimes you have to get off and catch a bus. But um, yeah, well, it's long, expensive, and it f- does finally get you there. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that pretty much covers it as far as the story goes. And um, I guess we'll just go around and get favorite beats and favorite moments. So. Because we're we're not here to do an epic breakdown. We we were here to discuss it in context of its time on the shelves and everything else. And like I've said in previous episodes, if you're looking for a breakdown of what the actual story is, you'll find that elsewhere a lot better than I can do it because I'm not very good at recapping shit. But um, I am good at looking at things in the context that they were presented to us at the time and trying to make sense of it that way, which is what I wanted to do with this series more then I wanted to just recap the death of Superman. So um, let's start with Leon. Uh, Leon, um, favourite moments um, from this ending arc? Anything stand out to you particularly? Um, well, a little moment. There's, there's moments throughout which uh, there's some like, really cool shots, uh, shots, really cool panels, really cool um, splash pages. But uh, one of my favourite moments comes quite late, actually, when um, it's uh, Superman turning up uh Lois's apartment like that that series of pages was quite yeah. interesting because it was such a yeah. different change of pace and it felt like a more mature rendering of a relationship especially from what we've seen previously with like how Superboy interacts with uh like Tana Moon and stuff and how like uh, Lex and Supergirl are it it's yeah. it's a, a willing like wanted change of pace and it just feels a bit more mature a bit more adult just them uh them sort of hanging out and sort of discussing and planning how they're going to um like reintegrate and all that and and then also the dilemma of like talking to his parents since he's back and putting it off and stuff like that like a a lot of that stuff is handled pretty well and it's like quite a fun lois lane because I like my Lois Lane, who's a bit, uh, a bit feisty, a bit, uh, a bit uh, of a, of a, a an is ass it, kicker. Is it Doctor Occult? <laughs> yeah. Just before <laughs> all of that stuff, right? Huh? Like Leon, you're referring to all the stuff just before the Doctor Occult thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I, I, I think that's my favorite part of the book as well. Like it's, yeah. I felt like it was about to shift tone. Like the page where he carries Lois up into the air and like. Um, like they're embracing in the sky feels really nice. Like it kind of reminded me of the stuff that I liked in All Star Superman. I think it was like even just like with the art style, it shifted slightly and it felt a bit more like fresh and vibrant. And then it kind of comes back down to earth, and we get we get an allusion to Dallas, I think, and then all the Doctor Occult stuff like sort of chimes in. And I, I initially groaned at that, and then actually I I felt like uh, some of that stuff it was it was almost getting to the thing that I like about these kind of stories where you get a an opportunity to reassess what happened and like you know a reflection on the whole story and like it doesn't quite pull it off but like i i appreciate that he was trying to do that at least um but i guess i I interrupted (laughs) that would be adventures of superman 505 i think you're talking about where he lois wakes up and is tapping on the window and it's it's clark indeed yeah yeah Yeah. behind the curtain yes (laughs) after the uh fake out with the bird earlier so it's a nice callback as well yeah yes yes yeah um my my favorite bit actually because i really like the destruction of coast city i loved that 
that panel, the destruction. I actually like how horrific it is because it actually the book manages to get that across, um, and it, it segues nicely into um, Emerald Twilight. Mm. Does it um, get that across well? Like you, you literally don't see anyone die. Like it's just like we I don't think have to a, see anyone cool die shot, to get but... the full magnitude of the destruction and know that that was a living, breathing city full of human beings. I mean, um, I only know that because they told me that. I didn't feel it. Yeah, but you know, I'm not maybe... like you. You don't have to defend that and like as I'm attacking you. It's more just I didn't. I know. Get that I know. From it. Yeah. I know. Maybe you have to read Green Lantern. I don't know, but like it's that's, that's the point that I took from yeah. that moment is that um it's not so much the explosion that didn't get me. It's it's later on when Green Lantern comes back. It's like mm-hmm. I know they're saving all of his emotion for Emerald Twilight, but it kind of feels like he gets back and he's like, oh shit, everyone's dead. Um, let me fight Mongol. Um, oh uh, Superman, don't worry, we can hold things down here. You chase Cyborg Superman. It's like he doesn't shed one tear. I know he's saying gotta push on the voices in my head of all those people yeah. that died and everything, but it, mm-hmm. there's not really a moment where you feel the weight of his city exploding like i don't know <laughs> and emerald emerald twilight is only three issues long oh really yeah the fall of hal jordan like literally three issues from the beginning of him like getting back to coast city and breaking up with his girlfriend and everything else to him blasting off and taking out every other green lantern stealing all the rings and becoming parallax it's three <laughs> issues so like it's um and it, it's it's kind of like i mean by that point you don't care anyway because hal jordan's not a nice man at that point you just feel like he's a bit of an asshole like using people as human shields and shit and yeah it's not it's um it's not good <laughs> um and uh he um he links up with green arrow again for one part of it um but it's just it's yeah by the end of it you're glad that kyle rayner stepped into greenland shoes um because like hal was just getting weirder and nastier and then became parallax so yeah um but yeah it was like it's the, the 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 whole thing of him like when he brings i guess i guess i've got the context and i guess that's why I can I can attach more to it than other people can the destruction of Coast City, but mm-hmm. it's the point in um, Emerald Twilight where he brings the city back using the power of the ring, um, like the sheer force of will and all the power in the ring to kind of like bring the city back. And but even everyone in the city knows that they're dead when he's talking to them. They're just shadows and reflections like created by the ring. And it's like this really weird memorial thing that he's living in, which isn't healthy for him anyway. Um, and then it just all comes to a crashing end when the Guardians take that away from him and tell him that he's a naughty boy and shouldn't have done it. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Exactly. Not, not that I'll go and read it, but I think it does sound interesting. Well, it's three issues, Ray, if you do yeah, decide yeah. to. So... You'll have to link me to them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, like... I feel like that, yeah, that is a big part of what I'm missing, like that context where I don't even really know anything about the Green Lantern Corps, like what, what you know, I only know the names in passing. So I wonder if, like, a question I was going to ask, and maybe I'll, you can get to this at the end, but like, I don't think I would recommend this to somebody who wasn't already a fan of Superman or understood the context and understood the history and stuff. Like, 
yeah, but that's that's more a conclusion thought, and we can get there. I would recommend the whole thing in in its entirety because I think the whole thing's fun. But even even without stuff like that, without knowing who Hal Jordan is and all of the stuff he went through, and like the because con- I one of the other things I wanted to ask was, are there consequences to the bigger storyline about uh, this city being destroyed, and like does it extend beyond just this book, or does it get rebuilt and sort of like the status quo is restored, or does it you know I don't well, really understand what that that's your expansion of it is is through the Green Lantern comics because it's right. the Green Lantern's hometown, right? It's Hal Jordan's hometown. That's why it's he has such a visceral reaction and everything else because everyone he loves and knows lives there, and then they're all just wiped out by Mongol. And that's why he he's going so hard in the Superman comics when he's fighting Mongol. Um, and he's basically like he's broken inside a suit made out of Green Lantern willpower at one point, I think. Yeah, because I did wonder what was happening. Like I was I was actually quite confused until I got to the next bit where it's from Superman's point of view. Um, but yeah. I actually quite liked having two different points of view on that whole battle. Um, yeah. yeah, I didn't that, really that was, clock. That sorry, was, no, I was just going to say that was one actual like really cool bit of storytelling and like juxtaposition of viewpoints that is done here, rather than everything else that kind of seems flat. That was a nicer uh, spin on things, having it from yeah. one perspective and then from the opposite perspective the next issue. Yeah, because I didn't immediately clock that it was a Green Lantern issue. Like I, I must yeah. have just skimmed over the cover. Um, and it's only when I went back and reread those two issues I kind of grokked what was happening. But yeah, it was it was quite cool. How do we feel about um, seeing the true final form of Clippy the Microsoft Paperclip in action in uh, Engine City, where he can just pop up wherever he wants? <laughs> when Cyborg Superman is just in control of everything, um, I think all oh, that's kind of cool. I like the idea that he was he was Engine City at one point. Like I loved like his face just coming out of the ceiling and shit. Like all of that stuff to me was like wicked sick. And I think as a child, like that would have been wicked sick as well. And I would have drawn hundreds of pictures of shit like that. Um, did you guys like enjoy that as much as I did <laughs> when they like making their way? Cause I really liked that bit where they're making their way through engine city, trying to get to the core, basically the cannons core as it were. To kind of like take it out. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you, but I feel like that's the, like half of the course. Um, yeah. The the whole thing of like I just going back slightly, like I think Engine City itself is a little bit underwhelming because like I feel like I have to fill in the blanks of what makes that so like grand and intimidating, and it's not portrayed on on the page. Well, like this yeah. idea of it being like this complete machine world made out of pistons and you know wrenches and bolts and stuff, and like they're climbing their way through this massive mechanical spire like you only get that sense of it on a couple of panels and so all of that stuff where he's like you know a symbiotic creature with the city that he's been built around or whatever coming out of the walls i don't feel like it sold very well and like i I don't know um i to me it it was so slight that i kind of forgot that it happened maybe Um, maybe it's again like a context thing but it's like the scale of it is that if he's going to turn it into war world he needs an engine that can propel war world through space yeah and what they were eventually I, I don't know what war world is i have no context yeah. for that so war world is a world that floats through space full of alien warriors right. and it's like there's it's big coliseum place and has mm. this whole culture of the most strongest person is the leader and all that kind of stuff and right, right. um and the reason cyborg superman 
manages to is telling Mongol what to do is because Cyborg Superman beat Mongol, and therefore Mongol lives by this code where he's no longer the strongest. Um, so he has to listen to Cyborg Superman, even though he doesn't like it. Um, and it's like um, he, what he, what they what the whole plan was was to eventually do that to the to the rest of Earth, like the bomb thing, and and just basically wreck the rest of Earth and then rebuild it as another war world because Mongols original war world had been destroyed and they were going to use and, and cyborg Superman would get his revenge on Superman for what he perceived as the reason he is how he is. And Mongol would, would get a new war world and earth would be the next war world. And that would be an engine where coast city used to be capable of propelling earth through space as a traveling massive world sized spacecraft. I think is that that's the idea, Ray. Anyway, cool. Um, okay. Yeah, um, and it's um, yeah. I, has anyone got anything else they want to add to this part of the, the conversation before we move on to the next chunk? I well, think... I was gonna. Uh, oh. Sorry, I was gonna. I was gonna say I was gonna talk about um, two of my favorite parts because we were talking about favorite parts earlier. But I was gonna say, Leon, you go first with your favorite parts before I go. But you had a point you were going to interject with anyway. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I, I think the concept of them uh, in, in the belly of uh, the Machine City thing is is cool in concept. And I think there are some uh, interesting panels in there. But then it's, like, contrasted with, like, Super Punisher, like, uh, <laughs> Super Punisher, like, holding, like, uh, like, laser machine gun looking thing and uh, bracka, 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 bracka. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stupid to look at. It's those Bracker Brackers, Leon. They're back to haunt you from the yeah. Christmas episode. <laughs> it's it's uh, and even got the stupid, uh, you know, my pet peeve, the thigh strap stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it just ruins like any sort of thing of like, look, oh, uh, they're in the blood. Uh, they're in this. Um... You've got to you've got to have that thigh strap that looks like it'd snap if they did a quad pump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like this is like leading up to the final boss like scenario, yeah. and it's like. Yeah. This happened in any ever J- in like any JRPG or something like that. It'd be like super like stupid. Like it would like suck. So it's it's kind of funny. You have these really cool moments where they're getting messed around with with the machine world and yeah, yeah. all these cool like Terminator esque. Uh, you know, like just the the uh, the machines without any flesh on them. You get like really cool like close ups and side profiles of that, and then. And all getting like messed with in different ways, and then yeah. you have like weird sort of Superman Punisher stuff. But it always it kind of feels like after all this build up, things do kind of like wrap up with that really quickly. Yeah, so it I mean it bleeds over, like I said, into um, Emerald Twilight, which is the Hal Jordan heel term, which is which which was the style of the time. <laughs> like everyone was everyone was getting a heel turn or a death and that that's the next one but i'm not gonna make us read that i'm not gonna go and discuss that in detail or anything else um and yeah i mean that that brings it to a close clark gets his life back um everything is restored status quo is restored in metropolis and um and then onwards from there there's those doomsday books i mentioned up top but um that is that is pretty much where we end with the death and return of superman comics um so that closes out the comics portion um uh, and yeah i mean I, go on can I, real quick before we before we end the like the talk of the comic 
because one of the when we were talking about um favorite moments and everything or standout moments um two of mine um they're very small considering this is about you know the return of superman and saving the entire planet from becoming war world um two of my favorite moments was um the first one was um eradicate of fighting steel yeah and it's purely because the conversation between them had um I, I say has echoes of even though it came after it reminded me a lot of the best conversations in nightfall like um obviously there's um bruce and john paul in the bat cave at the end of night's end when they're crawling through the tunnels and basically um waxing lyrical about what it means to have the mantle of the bat but also it reminded me of um towards the end of uh night's end where nightwing is fighting um as bats and thinks that bruce is dead and is just going crazy trying to beat the crap out of him and peel him out of the metal suit and it's basically like you know you're nothing like him you don't deserve to have the mantle you know you don't know what it means to be batman and that's the conversation that steel is having with eradicator it's like you could have you know apprehended that guy you just vaporized him in front of me you you don't deserve to have the s on your chest and stuff and it's yeah, like that's yeah. the stuff that i want from having these four superman Superman actually interact is and, um, having yeah. those four aspects of Superman be in conflict. And ultimately that is what it lacked. And that is mm. why it, it, it kind of just petered out and, and was like a slow deflation for me mm. because it didn't have the, the, the philosophy and the discussion of the, you know, like the, the, the whole thing with nightfall, like that is so epic when they're crawling through the tunnel towards the light. Mm. Like that is, such a beautiful way to end it i mean like i cannot nightfall's a masterpiece we know this <laughs> but like you can't like i just don't understand like what they it's just so many squandered opportunities for things like that with with the play the playoffs between these other supermen and and the you know discussing the idea of what it means to be superman through these facets of superman but then they didn't actually get around to that and you know um Oh, I did. I did. If we're going back to favorite moments briefly, I did like Superboy stopping the missile. That is cool. And that's yeah. like pure old school Superman as well. Yeah, that was nice. Um, and yeah, go on. I was that. That's it. That's that's where I'm at with it. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to step <laughs> on the end of the point. But no, no, no my, my actual favorite part of this comic, and it's it's a big shock. It's a huge surprise. You know, ask me about this at the beginning of, um, you know, Death and Return of Superman or even way back in the halcyon days of Night Quest. And I wouldn't have guessed it would be this, but um, it's one of the Bloodline storylines, or at least what? the beginning of them. Um, <laughs> just after the um, Steel Eradicator fight, there's um, a heartwarming moment where Lois is um, congratulating Ron. She thinks that it's Clark because he's got the hat on and everything. And then Jeb sidles up and tries to steal a kiss and give an umbrella and whatever. But just after that, you get this random hard turn to um, another Bloodlines issue. And you're like, oh, God, here we go again. But it's this cop who, you know, was in a car crash and, you know, because he's too hot headed and he's walking on crutches now and he's off the beat and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And there's just this really cool um couple of pages where like you're going through what got him to that stage what the crash was about and everything and it's you know the the flashbacks are in black and white and you're getting this with at the start of every black and white page there's a color panel in the top left of what he's doing at the moment and then as you turn the pages you realize that he's loading a gun because he wants yeah. to kill himself because he has no idea what to do with himself he's at the end of his rope 
He's getting and his it, lethal it, weapon moment, like the beginning of lethal <laughs> weapon. Exactly. But <laughs> the, the culmination of that and the, my favourite page is um, where you've got the after the crash, it's just him on the hospital bed, but it's all audio. So it's black panels, which obviously, and, and you talk about this all the time, Greg, the, the cinematography yeah. of comics and how, you know, a, a comic book panel can be, you, you imagine how it would be a screen in a movie, but you have more control over the speed at which you read it and everything. But you've got the, the gun as the backing image for the entire page and overlaid on that, you've got nine panels of black. Yeah, with his um his lieutenant or, or sergeant, I can't remember if it's pre promotion or whatever, talking to him about like you know you've got to get through this. I actually do really like you. You know we want you around. You just don't die on me and everything. And um you you can tell just from the layout of the pages and the beeps of the um the EKG and everything that it's leading to him remembering this in real time ready to pull the trigger and then you get the phone calls in the background the, the sorry the phone ringing in the background it's just so dramatic the way it's all layered out across this single page and then he decides to take the gun away from his chin and take the call and i'm like that's so good for one of these yeah. bloody bloodline storylines i remember <laughs> it's the, infuriating the, isn't it <laughs> it really is the legitimate thought that i had when i was reading this story was i was fully invested in this before yeah. the horse face xenomorphs turned up again yep <laughs> <laughs> oh dear should i make you all read bloodlines i don't know no. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> can i talk about one of my favorite pages um yeah. well, sorry maybe not favorite but one of the standout pages is yeah. when soups has his fist through mecha soups whatever you call it, <laughs> right and like it's meant to be this huge dramatic climactic moment where he like vibrates his arm at an incredible rate to uh you know to to finish him off and the death of uh cyborg Superman, whatever. Again, I don't re actually know what he's called. Yeah, Cyborg uh, Superman. Cyborg Superman is like a tiny panel in the bottom right corner that says Bruce, and he bursts into confetti. And I <laughs> went on the next page, and I was like, "Oh, he died!" And I had to go back and like reread what was going on. Like, what a bitch death! <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> and it's and it's like I I'm using the the term comic booky as a pejorative here, but like it's it for for a, a comic book that was like really dark and gritty for the most part to have this like confetti panel just felt like it came out of nowhere and like so incongruous with the, tone at the end of, of the, the, rest day, of the story like I, yeah at the end of the day it is a superman book <laughs> sure but he burst Can... into confetti like i don't get what it i mean you know, i guess it's meant you... to be like bits of machinery yeah. or whatever yeah but... yeah you know what it feels like it feels like um in scott pilgrim where the enemies burst into coins as like an homage to video games but <laughs> yeah. like it's played completely seriously though it's supposed to be the dramatic end to this whole plot like it's, he but atomizes him or whatever so that he like can't no i, I get the mechanics of it Greg. that's not yeah. the problem <laughs> i have with it thing is like this the whole page is laid out really odd as well because like the top left and the bottom right have two completely different tones where it's like superman basically naked with like venom goo hanging off him with his arm out and like cyborg soup hanging off his hand and then the bottom right is like him bursting into into shards of red white and blue i guess and like I'd, it just made me laugh it made he me does laugh, the like, like vibrates his hand really fast doesn't he and like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and like it implodes him or whatever that's and, a like, flash ass move yeah. <laughs> like flash does the vibrating thing that's a flash thing <laughs> also i wanted to ask like again i i don't know if i was reading too much into this stuff or i am genuinely missing uh like allusions to other comics but like is mongol sat like deliberately like thanos or 
maybe not even Thanos. Maybe like what's the other one? Dark side. Dark side. Uh, is that is that meant to be a thing? Like I was a little bit confused about who um, this is meant to be. And... I think that uh, on a character design level, I think he's closer to Thanos. Um, I think I think he's kind of he Mongol is sort of DC's version of Thanos. Okay, so it was it was I meant guess. to be saying something by that, or again, is it like the the Fantastic Four thing where it's just a it's just half illusion for. I think I think it's just I think it's just Mongol sitting. Okay. And because he looks a bit Thanosy, I think that's just how it is. Okay, fair enough. Oh, also, actually, no. Speaking of Mongol, how does he die? Like, there's a page where he's like surrounded by the 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 kryptonite gas, something, and he's like, "Now you!" And he screams the word "die," and then he dies. He, like, he faints. He faints because I, I don't think Mongol dies. I think he just no. gets knocked out by the ferocity of Green Lantern's attacks. Oh, but like, okay, okay. yeah, I don't think Mongol dies in this storyline because no, I know he's, he's a out, big deal later on. Out for the count. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that I just I felt like that wasn't expressed very well. Manages shouting the word "die" and then it looked like he died. But... <laughs> manages to scurry away to be a yellow angry Thanos another day. Right, right, right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I, oh, I just uh, want him. Oh, go on. <laughs> one sorry one final question because like i don't know if i mentioned in nightfall where i uh my the way i lay out my notes is like i have my notes and then it in big yellow letters when i have like big questions that i want answering and mm. i don't have many of them in this 13 page document that i've written down apart from who the fuck is jeb who's jeb and why is he sleezing on notes like what's his deal <laughs> well there's that whole panel with jimmy olsen being incredibly cool in his spin doctor's t-shirt um and yeah jeb jeb is just someone from lois's past um okay. like a, an old flame or whatever why, why, he, why was there so much time committed to this douchebag because he's he's like it's it's giving you the whole oh my god lois no but we know clark like it, it's like the whole like um basically to give to give some to give lois some pathos basically to to, to make could it, be the to make the loss of clark interesting art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Je- Je- Jeb is as much of a person as Bibbo is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bibbo's but yeah, it's 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 basically just to create some drama. Like, oh, you know, he's 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 um he's trying to like get in on get in on Lois and muscle in on Lois, and right, right. you know, Jimmy doesn't like it. And it's a yeah. shame though, because there could have been something done with it. I know it's 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 almost foolish comparing. Um, a mid '90s comic book to like a full novel, but like there's a similar thing in like the Time Traveler's Wife, and I'm not going to spoil it. People should read it; it's a good book. If you don't want to read the book, there's a there's a, a a good movie. Eric Banner, I believe, is the lead in it. Um, adaptation of it. Watch or read it. But there's a moment that is similar to that where you're like, as the reader, you're sort of like, oh no, I can understand why you would want to kiss someone else when you're not sure what's happened to your partner, but don't do it. No, yeah. Th- those yeah. emotions. Uh, uh, played with yeah. better in other stories is the point that and, I'm trying to make. And she can't even properly grieve or move on because, like, she can't. Well, because because she she knows Superman's gone, but like, mm. and and her Clark is gone, but like, no one else knows that Clark's gone because no one's found a body, mm. and she can't give it up that he's dead without a body being there because then she gives away Superman's secret identity. Yeah, mm. no, I I got all of that, but yeah. Before we get too far, though, I am I'm genuinely intrigued, and I don't want to miss out. Did you have favorite moments, Leon, that you wanted to talk about as well? Uh, well, I think I covered it really. Like there's, like I said, there's moments early on that have been covered by other people, like uh, 
Coast City going up in flames and stuff like that and things that you guys have said. But my main thing is that that stood out to me. I really liked um, like uh, Clark showing up and hanging out with Lois at, towards the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I liked the uh, the Doctor Occult exposition dump as well. Hmm. Yeah, that I didn't mind fun. that so much. Yeah. I, I think there was, again, there was the, the bones of something good there. Um, yeah, yeah. Like having that retrospective. I think I already mentioned this, but yeah. yeah. I, I do wish that was more of a thing where it's like he gets to look back on the life that he lost and like all the yeah. moments that led up to it or whatever, but it, it just didn't pay off the way I would have it. But, you know. Was it just me that, it, that imagined like noir sleazy saxophone in the background of that whole bit? No, I, I can see that. <laughs> You played as you read the page, like one of those cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you open the book on that page, it's yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that rounds us off for uh, the return of Superman. So that is us at the end of the comics, but that's not the end of the show, no, because we know that this this comic did incredibly well and was like when when the death of Superman was selling, it sold so well that it it it, it and it became such a, a global sensation. Um, because of the news coverage and everything else that um they wanted to cash in on it basically and um it they uh they had some spin-offs in other media so um this which is something that's quite unique i think um in a sense of a comic book being popular enough like a specific comic storyline being pop popular enough to be to for people to want to try to adapt it into film or to adapt it into a computer game or something like that um and i think it's something that you don't you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily see it today i mean i know that 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 right now with the 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 mill the, the endless studio mill that is marvel and disney and whatever and and like the endless how they're constantly adapting comic storylines into into movies and things like that i know that's happening now but i i think that that is to do with the fact that the movies themselves were popular, not because the comics were popular. It's not because, so it's not, it's not like the world had seen, uh, had read a specific uh, Iron Man storyline or a specific Spider-Man storyline. And then they decided to adapt to that specific storyline into a movie. And it, 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 these movies became properties because people decided to adapt the characters to film. And it's not, it's not the same thing where a specific storyline inspires so much, kind of like faith in the medium that they decide to kind of like try and adapt it into other media to try and make more money out of it like it, there's a specific storyline being that lucrative if you understand what i'm trying to say so at the time of the storyline as well because it's like yeah. when the mcu started you know iron man 2 had you know a lot of demon in a bottle in it and like um you know even batman and robin they put bane in there but they didn't put any nightfall it was just like oh bane's a cool character let's throw him in there yeah yeah and it's um, so what we've what I've done is um, I just wanted to bring up a couple of the things that came out of the death and return of Superman. So first thing I'm going to come to is uh, the video game. So the video game, the death and return of Superman, which was developed by Blizzard and published by um, I think it was Sunsoft. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a side scrolling beat em up. Um, the thing that stands out about it from other side-scrolling beat-em-ups time, so it's very of its time. It's it's this 16-bit side-scrolling beat-em-up. You you've all played them. You've all played things like Streets of Rage, maybe, um, or I don't know, uh, Final Fight, that kind of stuff, um, 
walk, 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 punch a few guys, carry on walking, boss, punch the boss, next thing. Um, and they're usually quite kind of like low on the story end of things and usually a little bit more kind of like more, f it's more to do with like how you play the game and being able to like get through, you know, execute specific combos, things like that. It it's just a fun game to kind of like zone out and play and just mash the, the, the attack button the attack button go for the occasional grab etc but um with like the side scrolling beat em ups as well like what what you had a lot of at the time actually was a lot of comic book video games um so you had things like there was x-men games there was um but they weren't adapting as far as i'm aware specific storylines as much as they were just being an x-men game or being a spider-man game or being a batman game uh, some of them were like the Batman game. I think the, the a lot of the Batman games that would have been around at the time would have been movie tie-ins, or um, you'd be looking at the Batman animated series game that was out on the SNES and the Mega Drive that came uh, that came later. Um, but so this was released in 1994, um, and this had it was released for the SNES and for the Mega Drive. The SNES version was superior; it had better music and graphics. Um, I hate saying that, but it's true. <laughs> um <laughs> Sega till I die. Um and um the thing that stood out about this was it was a full adaptation of the Death and Return of Superman comic arc, like start to finish, in scrolling side scrolling beat em up form where you got to play as each of the different Supermen in turn. Um and you know, each of them had their own specific skills, uh specific levels dedicated to them and things like that. Um, and it followed the story quite accurately for a video game adaptation. Like there wasn't much, wasn't many liberties taken story-wise, um, which stood out for me as well. Which is why I find I find this a curious thing. Um, I mean, it didn't get such a good reception at the time. People were saying that it was. Uh, I mean, it was getting pretty low scores in the magazines. People weren't giving it that that great reviews. People weren't that enamoured with it. Um, and you would get kind of like, um, uh, but looking back on it and, and like, cause I looked at some YouTube videos, some long plays of it. I watched the Mega Drive one and a SNES one and looking back on it, I, I was actually pretty impressed with it. And I'm, I'm quite impressed with the, how it sticks to the story of the comic book arc. And that's why it's a curious thing for me. Did any of you guys manage to check out any of it at all? Like, did you look up screenshots or? Yeah. I've seen screenshots. screenshots. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, it looks pretty standard for the time, right? Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, it just stood out for me because I, I thought it was fun. And um, it's, uh, it's an interesting way for them to adapt the story. And the fact that it was adapted with such care and attention, I think. Um, I mean, the gameplay itself might not have been great. And the game itself might have been a bit bland in that way. But the fact that the story was adapted with such care and attention kind of stood out for me um, and made me want to bring it up at the end of this as one of the, one of the curious things that came out of the death and return of Superman. Now the second uh, and, and most curious thing to come out of the death and return of Superman is the legendary failed project Superman lives. So what a bizarre thing this was. Okay. So this was um, the canceled curiosity is a bizarre movie project um, that came out of the success of Death of Superman. Um, so Warner Brothers bought the film rights back from the um, the Salkins. So um, 
Warner Brothers got the film rights back. Um, the Salkins, um, Ilya Juan Salkin and Alexander Salkin, who had contributed to three uh, producers of three of the four 70s and 80s Superman movies. Um, they bought the rights in 74 from DC, but had a real hard time. Apparently the process sucked when they were buying the rights because they had two weeks of meetings with DC to establish an, an integrity of the character clause um, in the contract when they were buying the rights to make sure that they ultimately did what DC wanted them to do, basically, with Superman. And then they, uh, in, in 93, they ended up selling the rights back to Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers wanted to make a film to capitalise on the success of the Death of Superman comic. Now, um, what I did want to bring up, which was quite curious that I found out, actually, that back in the, uh, the 70s and the 80s, um, people that were considered for Superman um, in those original films that the Salkins made um, were Muhammad Ali. Uh, he was considered for the Superman role. Clint Eastwood was considered for the Superman role. Uh, you could have had a Dustin Hoffman Superman, Al Pacino as Superman, James Khan, or even Steve McQueen. So um, I just in wanted the, to bring that in up. In the 90s? I, no, no, this isn't the 90s. This was in the 70s. Oh, uh, you're talking about before? Uh, I went back, like, okay, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. in the 70s, like, they were considering all of these people for Superman, which, yeah, yeah. can you imagine a world where instead of, like, um, instead of what we got, which was uh, Christopher Reeves, wasn't it? Um, can you imagine, like, Muhammad Ali as Superman instead? That would have been incredible. I wonder, was that was that um, uh, consideration before um, Ali fought Superman in the comics or after? Because one must have um, led to the other. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the specifics, but mm. um, I'm guessing it, it's it's chicken and egg scenario, one or the other, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or even, can you imagine Al Pacino as Superman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I can it gets... see uh, Pacino as a seventies Batman. Thinking about, yeah, <laughs> but Pacino as Superman in in Red and Blue, <laughs> like... <laughs> or even Clint Eastwood. Like, I think Clint Eastwood would have been a little bit over the hill there, but it'd be a bit past it then for Superman, right? I, the only way I, I can think Clint Eastwood as Superman would be. Um like a movie adaptation of the dark knight returns <laughs> like if it was yeah. like future batman and future superman yeah yeah um steve mcqueen as superman i think i don't know if he would have been a little bit old for it by then would he would he yeah but he had one of them he had one of them faces though even when he was yeah. uh, getting on a bit he still would have looked young yeah. enough to be clark Kent and superman yeah because they yeah. were in the 70s they would have been in their 40s hmm. yeah but like 70s 40s looks different from now 40s yeah yeah exactly people smoked more back then well, <laughs> um, the so... lead in the air the uh there's way less uh invisible cosmetic surgery lead, lead in the paint um <laughs> yeah asbestos yeah um <laughs> just generally living in the 70s <laughs> so yeah i mean like Fast forward to the 90s, DC get the rights back to Superman movies and they uh, they had this project uh, to create this this Death of Superman movie, ba movie based on Death of Superman. Now, they originally had this this movie idea floating around. The, originally was, the movie was originally going to be called, before it became Superman Lives, um, in its original iteration when they first started um, working on this project to create this movie, um, it was originally going to be called Superman Reborn. And... Um, this was to be produced by John Peters and uh, it was written by Jonathan Lemkin. 
Now, the cliff notes are for, for what Lemkin wrote is that Soups and Lois are going through a rocky patch in their relationship. And um, it's uh, he, he basically Superman fights Doomsday. He uh, he professes his love to Lois. And then as he says he loves Lois as he dies, some of his life force is transferred from him into Lois. Um, it jumps to her as he dies. And Lois has a virgin birth. And the baby gets to 21 in the space of three weeks and becomes the revived Superman and saves the world. That was the script. Um, and the script was rewritten. Okay, after that. So they, they looked at that script and they decided they, they wanted to rewrite it, but not because it was fucked up with Lois giving birth to Superman. <laughs> not because of that rubbish. No, <laughs> it was rewritten because apparently there was too many... There was too too much similarity between obligation to heroism and, and themes of obligation to heroism that they had in the um in batman forever like apparently had too much of that going on so they weren't worried about the virgin birth stuff no they were going to let that happen like it was just oh no it's just too much of like it's, it shares some philosophy with batman forever we can't have that like if i was going to choose a re one reason to rewrite that it would be Lois having a virgin birth and that baby getting to age 21 in the space of three weeks. You've got to remember, like, quaaludes were running out, so, like, people were going really hard <laughs> on Coke uh, back then, especially studio execs and, like, um, you know, just the suits. They were going really, like, Scarface Mountain level. Yeah. Uh, and that's the type of stuff, like, because there was a lot of, like, weird storylines in the 90s of, like, aborted scripts for, like, like just normal non-superhero movies and that yeah. you think like and tv shows as well and bear, bear in mind this is before like uh this is when you had networks and like you had like hbo hadn't even started doing original tv dramas and some of the storylines stuff you read there's like huh <laughs> whoa like the world would be different if this if this happened yeah exactly and um it's yeah it <sighs> yeah <laughs> Anyway, um, so it, it was rewritten after that, and um, it was rewritten. This is the first time it was rewritten, by the way. It's going to get rewritten a lot, um, and it was rewritten by um, Gregory Poria, um, and he wrote rewrote it. And the differences with his script were that Brainiac made Doomsday out of Kryptonian blood, and um, there was an alien called Cadmus who stole Superman's corpse when Superman had died, and superman gets revived um and then teams up with cadmus to fight brainiac so in this version instead of cadmus being an, an organization on earth that's made up of scientists doing weird shit creating clones and and whatever else um cadmus is an alien um and uh superman's powers return slowly throughout this because uh when he comes back because apparently it's it's a kryptonian in this script they wrote it away as a kryptonian his powers are a kryptonian mental discipline called um pinyar or something like that pinyar p-h-i-n dash y-a-r and um, he had to wear a robot suit um which um is probably some kind of reference to the kryptonian uh space marine battle armor that he wears in the in the comic i don't know where but um and he wore black at the end of the script um which we'll get into in the next bit because 
I think the wearing black thing was on the insistence of um it, it was on the insistence of the producer. Uh John Peters had a lot of stipulations. Um which we're gonna come on to in a minute. And I think I in my theory is that the ultimate reason this movie never got made was because of John Peters. Um so um Warner Brothers loved this script. They they loved this script that Gregory Poirier had written. But Kevin Smith thought he could do better. So Kevin Smith gets in, throws his hat in the ring, and says, well, let me have a bash at it. Um, and, uh, and thus, we come on to Superman Lives, which was this famously failed Nick Cage iteration of this doomed movie. Um, yes, that's right, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so... Um, Kevin Smith was writing and he put together a script with Brainiac um, sending Doomsday to kill Superman uh, and blacking out the sun with a giant disc to make Superman easier to kill. In, in Kevin Smith's script, that was originally how it was going to go. Uh, basically fucking soups up by taking away the sunlight, which powers him. Uh, Brainiac also teams with Lex um, and Soups is revived by a robot called the Eradicator and Brainiac wants the Eradicator because he wants the technology of the Eradicator in this version of the film. In this version of the film, we had Ben Affleck's cast as Superman. We had uh, Jack Nicholson as Lex Luthor. <laughs> we had Jason Lee as Brainiac. Jason Mewes as Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> and Linda Fiorentino as Lois. Pretty so, good passing that, that, yeah. that role. Yeah, yeah. Linda, Linda Fiorentino, you mean, as Lois? Or do you yeah. mean Jason Mewes as Jim no, no. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, because Kevin Smith self-inserts himself, right? So I wonder, I wonder where he would have put himself in that, I wonder. <laughs> like, I imagine if he's, put in Jason, if he's put in Jason Mewes as Jimmy Olsen, like, he would have to be, like... Um... Harry White or something. Yeah, well, I don't know, because it's just a bit of a vocal role, isn't it? He'd oh, have to true. at least say Great Caesar's ghost, wouldn't he? And yeah. he didn't talk. So um I don't know. I don't know where you would put him in that. But yeah. Um I reckon he would have to be like one of the underworlders or something weird. Mm. Yeah, it's the trench coat thing. I don't know. Um so John Peters, who was the producer, throughout all of the iterations of this project, he had stipulations. And um this became very it became very apparent. Because um, Kevin Smith is the one that kind of like blows the lid on this, and he's the one that likes to lampoon people about it and talk about it. And he did this. Uh, he he basically made a documentary about his experience making this film, um, which I think you watched, didn't you, Marv? Yeah, I watched that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, he so Kevin Smith talks about it from his point of view, and he's like, right. So when I when I had these meeting with John Peters, who was the producer, he had these these stipulations for what i had to do for this project and i really he he kevin smith realized that he was just basically being being used to execute this man's idea that this man already had this image in this man's head um where superman can't fly and superman has to fight a giant spider in the third act of the film that's that's non-negotiable um 
He got his way eventually, though, because I think John Peters also did the Wild Wild West, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So he got his giant spider in the end. Yeah, he did. See, <laughs> the, before watching this documentary, the two main things that, I rem- um, that I'd known about Superman Lives is the infamous um, Nick Cage picture of him in the suit in the, uh, the, the, the costume tests and the stipulation about the spider leading to Wild Wild West. Yeah. Those were the only yeah. two. I, I, before watching it, I didn't realize how far along it got in production. Oh yeah, they spent so much money on it, and it got the basically the it. It's one of those things where this movie was the ship of Theseus because yeah. it changed that many times throughout, mm. and people like personnel changes everywhere, and it's just one of those things where is it still the movie that we're trying to make? Like what what's going on here? Um. Oh yeah. Um. Apparent because of um the fact that Star Wars had recently coming up on it it was it 20 years of star wars at this point uh it was the 20th anniversary re-releases of the original trilogy wasn't it yeah um it was coming up on that so because of that john peters wanted brainiac to fight a polar bear in the fortress of solitude um i don't i think the connection might be something to do with empire strikes back yeah the um yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I can't remember the name of the creature now. Star yeah. Wars fans listening are screaming. Oh, I can't remember the, what it's the called ta- either. The Tauntaun. No, the, no, the Tauntaun's taunt- the thing that that's Luke the thing cuts. Ride. Luke yeah, yeah, but I mean, sleeps inside part, it. It's part of that sequence. It's part yeah. of that sequence, yeah. yeah. It's the big oh. ice monster in the cave. What's it called? Yeah. Oh my god, that's going to drive me crazy now. I want to call it Bantha, but it's not Bantha either, is it? And it's definitely not the Sarlacc, because the Sarlacc is the thing that um, Jabba the Hutt hey. has. Yeah, that ate Boba Fett before. Uh, yeah, before it was um, retconned and then retconned again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, he, he has to fight that like a polar bear in the Fortress of Solitude. That's not negotiable. Um, <laughs> That's um, the Wampa, isn't it? Huh? That sounds. That sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah, sounds right. Wampa. Yeah. Is, isn't that yeah, what the yeah, fruits the are called in in Crash Bandicoot? <laughs> Wampa fruits. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about Star Wars. I'm just going to go with it. Leon's right. It's called the No, Wampa. it's it's definitely a Wampa. Yeah. yeah. Wampa, yeah. The Wampa, yeah. <laughs> Willy Wampa. Willy Wampa's snow factory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so, I, I swear, John Peters sounds like a, an absolute nightmare. Oh, like, really? Again, yeah. I, I heard the stipulations before with the giant spider and everything, and you have to yeah. do this and you can't do that. But like watching that documentary, like him like wrestling people randomly during meetings and putting people in headlocks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He just sounds like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> he was. He was this absolute nightmare weirdo to work with. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went skiing an awful lot, like Leon said. <laughs> I think there was a lot of cocaine hanging about. Um. He said, oh, yeah, uh, this is this is another one as well. He said he didn't like the blue and, and red suit um, and he wanted Superman to wear black. And the reason he didn't like the blue and red suit was, in his words, it looked too. And then he uses a homophobic slur as an adjective. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful F slur. Yes. Um, he's, he's, a, he's not a very nice man. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. He, he, the other bit of like kind of like homophobia that comes into it with this guy is that he insisted that uh brainiac's assistant elron had to be a gay r2d2 with attitude and had to be voiced by dwight ewell um yeah (laughs) go figure 
Um, oh yeah, oh, the, the Star Wars twentieth thing as well. Um, around the time that Brainiac, um, because of the the Star Wars twentieth release, Brainiac had to have a space dog, and he had to give this to Lex Luthor, and it was purely for merchandise purposes. They wanted this cute space dog that Brainiac gives to Lex Luthor. Like I, I don't know what that has to do with Star Wars at all. Like <laughs> where that comes into it at all. But there we go. Like what? What what's cute space doggy about Star Wars? Like you said, it's probably just the merchandising. It's like yeah. we have to get some toy sales out of I, this. I feel like it was the cocaine, to be honest. But, <laughs> um, and then, um, so what they did was they brought Tim Burton on to direct it. And when they brought Tim Burton on to direct it, Tim Burton wanted to do it his way. So they kind of... Um, I mean, like, Smith actually wanted Tim Burton to direct it. Uh, Kevin Smith wanted Tim Burton on board. Robert Rodriguez was originally asked first, but turned it down because he was doing The Faculty. Um, and then Nick Cage signs on as Superman uh, because he was a fan of Superman comics. So they managed to get Nick Cage to sign on as Superman. When Tim Burton comes into it, Tim Burton wants to do things his way. And um, he again the script is kind of like changed and and altered and everything again because tim burton's on board now and he's like well i want to do it my way which is why they end up getting um nick cage on instead of ben affleck as superman um they wanted dc wanted to release this on the 60th anniversary of action comics in 1998 so that was their deadline that was what they had to get it ready they had to release it then um in the tim burton version kevin spacey was going to be lex luther read into that what you will um chris yeah, rock was going to be jimmy that still olsen. happened <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 chris rock was going to be jimmy olsen um there was three people bandied about for the role of brainiac um it was jim carrey gary oldman and christopher walken and i think they 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 it, they eventually just decided on christopher walken but can you imagine brainiac being played by jim carrey <laughs> part of my brain went to that and was like wow like i can really imagine that but my my the, the majority of my brain is going jesus imagine gary oldman as brainiac that would have been amazing to see that would have been fantastic i mean we all know gary oldman's the greatest actor alive so or one of the greatest actors alive so like yeah. all those um, like all those old facebook memes say he, he could be playing you right now that's how good of an actor he is yeah i'm gonna finish this podcast someone's gonna shout cut and i'll be gary oldman <laughs> yeah. that's how it is uh, to reference ye olde Facebook meme. Um, yeah, um, for Lois Lane, they had uh, they they were considering Sandra Bullock, uh, Julianne Moore, um, and um, Courtney Cox. So those mm. were yeah. Um, it got rewritten again by Wesley Strick. Um, Strick said he didn't like the Eradicator's role in in uh, Smith's script and. He also didn't like the giant disc blocking the sun too much because it reminded him of a Simpsons episode, Mr. Burns doing the Brainiac bit. I don't know why. I, I, is that an actual Simpsons episode? Does Mr. Burns block what? out the sun? Have you not well, seen that episode? How, That's one of the joking. most classic episodes. <laughs> I'm finding out a lot about you, Greg, recently. I, 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 <laughs> I, I haven't seen grew... the Shaquille O'Neal Steel film either. This but is the thing. I thought we grew up on the same planet, Greg. Okay, look, Steel and The Simpsons. Uh, <laughs> very, very different. 
Look, yeah, well, anyway, so that that's a Simpsons. It, apparently, it was too much like the Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns blogs out the sun and he didn't like it. Hmm. Um, and in, this, in, in the strict version, Lex and Brainiac fused to create Lexiac. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that brings me back to Apex Lex from, <laughs> <laughs> from the, um, the dark timeline stuff that we read. Um, I, I felt Rahul's eye twitch just then. Yeah. <laughs> it's alliterative, Rahul. Enjoy it. I'm slightly zoned out because you guys are talking about things that I don't understand, so I'm just uh, enjoying the yeah. sound of it. Um, <laughs> the, the strict script had basically little to do with the comics from an, an art design directive uh, perspective. Like, the film itself had little to do with the comics from an art and design perspective, and it basically became an exercise in merchandising. Like, that was... The big goal of it was to sell toys and everything else, and they were less interested in comic accuracy and adapting the story than they were in selling toys. So it, it became about what looks cool and what would sell a toy to a child. And they were bringing kids into the art department to like judge pictures and things. Um, I think this comes up in the documentary, doesn't it, Marv? Yeah, just randomly barging kids in there to... Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are just working away and they're bringing kids in going, do you think that looks cool? Like, like, is it, you know, cause the whole goal is to turn everything into a toy. Like, yeah. So Peters would bring kids in to look at art and design and give, give opinions like, you know, um, and there was a, a, like a, some weird drawings that, um, that, uh, Tim Burton did where Brainiac was basically a cone shaped thing with a skull inside a fishbowl on top. Um, and then there was this whole thing with Eradicator being a transformer and turning into a vehicle. Um, and then Brainiac's ship was designed after a cover that Peter saw for National Geographic, which had a skull on it. And it's basically like the skull is like, um, like an early human skull, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's like, it's, I um, want Brainiac's ship to look like that. <laughs> it's, um, I can't remember the, 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 the actual, like, geological period it's from but it's the skull of the they call it the skull of lucy um yeah yeah, yeah. like one of the first kind of like um upright apes as it were i guess like early early evolution human type thing yeah um australopithecus or something probably but yeah um so like he's designed the skull after this thing uh on brainiac ship and it's just it's just all one big merchandising thing and it, it's like Less about the movie and more about can we sell toys with it kind of thing mm. at this point. But like I've seen some of the production design and things and some of it actually looks really good and they spent an awful lot of money on it. And like when you look up the screen tests and stuff, because all the screen test footage is there on YouTube for you to check. Like you can see screen tests of um, Nick Cage wearing the Superman suit and just, just being bizarre in this Superman costume, like moving his arms up and down and stuff. And then there's like the um, the regeneration suit that obviously after Superman dies and comes back, they had him wearing a regeneration suit in the film and they designed the regeneration suit and it looks like this translucent insect shell quality to it. Um, and it's covered in like weird ass cables and stuff and everything's just like, it's like this really out there alien tech that looks really almost Giga-esque, some of it, when you look at the concept drawings and stuff. And it's like, it looks a bit too a bit too gigaresh to be a superman film and it's a bit it's a bit weird in that way um and it's such an interesting thing to look at and such a such an interesting 
thing to see that's that's like this this curious kind of like dead end that's related to superman it's it's really weird to look at i recommend um if you get a spare minute and you're bored um just just look up this stuff on uh, google images or look for the test footage for like nick cage in the superman suit on um youtube and things like that and you'll find it it's all there or even check out the documentary check out the um the death of superman lives documentary um, I think it's called Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Um, and it's the documentary that Kevin Smith crowdfunded and made that tells the story of this film. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all really interesting stuff. Um, and basically it got rewritten again after, after Strick rewrote it and, and it got rewritten again and costs were spiraling and Strick's script was too expensive. So it was rewritten by, um, somebody else uh the project was eventually abandoned in 1998 and it was put on hold because it had already cost 30 million and they basically had nothing to show for it and tim burton had gone well i'm out i'm making sleepy hollow now uh so he went off to make sleepy hollow um you ask tim burton about it he'll tell you it was a waste of time for him he says he wasted a year on this <laughs> he's just like no nah, it was a waste it was a waste of a year for me um he didn't like peters no one liked peters um he references when when Tim Burton leaves. He references differences with the studio, etc., and everything else. And it, it smells a lot like Peter's was the problem. Like I keep saying. Um. And uh, so then this guy called Alex Ford comes along, who was a comics fan and aspiring screenwriter, and he pitched this idea for a um, Superman Man of Steel movie um, or a seven movie. He pitch, pitches this script, Superman Man of Steel. And he has this whole idea for a seven movie, um, like franchise basically. And his script and idea was like accepted. He pitched it and it was accepted in 98. And again, he was kicked, kicked from the project due to creative differences. Um, and his, what he says is that it, it was all about the toys and the merch and no one wanted to like actually get like make a good Superman story. They didn't understand the comics or understand Superman as a character. And they were just interested in shifting lunchbox and action figures. Um, and that's the way he puts it anyway, like not exactly his words, but the way he puts it. And that's, that's what ultimately led to him getting kicked from the project. Again, creative differences with the producer. Um, and yeah, they just, they just wanted to spin it for merch. And then another script comes, uh, like the script. So there's a script that a guy called Dan Gilroy wrote for it that ended up going door to door with Peters. And Peters was just asking people like for take, basically, do you want to take this on? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And he went to Michael Bay and Michael Bay said no. <laughs> so even Michael Bay said no to it. Um, and then it was rewritten again in 1999, um, by Will Wisner Jr. And, um, at that point, Cage dropped out, um, they were saying that the script that was rewritten in 99 was a bit too matrixy. Um, Peters went to Will Smith and offered Will Smith the Superman role, but Will Smith said no because he feared the backlash that he might have gotten at the time. Um, like, so what I wanted to come up with, like, imagine so how it is now on the internet with these comics fans that, like, th these, I don't, I don't, I don't I'm even want to call them comics fans because they're not fans. They're not fans of comics. They're just assholes these what they call themselves comics gate right um and like you know imagine imagine their reaction to will smith as superman like and and i can understand what will smith's 
misgivings were back at the time but like between then and now like then at least at least these people were in cages on little forums like now social media has just kind of like opened that up and the rats are like out of the sewer and in the streets right like hmm. so i mean can you imagine will smith as superman anyway like a will smith superman like that would have been kind of cool it would have been a very different thing yeah but, uh, but yeah. I, I think the reticence comes in a different way though, because it's like now it's like online annoying sort of the like hate raid type stuff. But even back then, it would just been like Hollywood and pundits and stuff. Like people were yeah. like, think about like uh, the late night shows and their their monologues and stuff like that. Like, like it was a mega savage. I remember this is the preceding thing to like. TMZ and stuff like that, and people like yeah. Britney Spears being hounded. So it's like, I can I can, I can like uh, like imagine why it would be uh, someone would not want a sort of poison chalice. Yeah, exactly. The media themselves would have been against him, wouldn't they? And it would have been like opinion pieces left, right, and center, and everything else. Way, yeah. Um... And that's kind of where it fizzles out. That's kind of like where the trail ends completely for that film. So that was the the, the doomed project that was Superman Lives. Um, I'm sort of glad it didn't get made, to be honest. <laughs> but at the same time, when I look at some of the stuff that surrounded it and the amount of money spent on it and, you know, like some of the really cool designs and just, just absolute weird shit that is is to do with this movie when you look at like um prop designs and things like god damn yeah, it would have been I, a trip it would have been a trip definitely but i think in the end it's um like you said being glad that it didn't get made i think the story of it not getting made is a, a more interesting story than the film being made itself exactly yeah it's such a weird curious thing and it, it all of this comes out of the death of superman without the death of superman comic none of this would have happened mm. Like, it's so interesting. And that Shaquille O'Neal Steel film wouldn't exist without the Death of Superman comics. You, because that's where the character Steel was introduced. I, I, part of me still thinks that you're, like, you're running, like, a long con joke on us. Like, if you honestly haven't watched it, then we all have to sit down and watch it together at some point. Cause... If I have seen it, I've had that part of my brain removed. <laughs> I've, I've, probably, I've probably seen it as a child and, and just completely blacked out and forgotten it. I don't know. Maybe I was, like... Maybe I had too much Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Or I mean, and, you didn't uh, even see uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1, so <laughs> maybe you didn't see it. Wait, that's, where the, say... that's where the disc thing's from, Who Shot Mr. Burns yeah, Part 1. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the thing that he does to the town that makes everyone angry enough for him to for it to have been anyone that could have shot him. Because I remember, I remember the, the thing about Maggie being the person that shot Mr. Burns. Spoilers, yeah, spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Part 2, Greg. <laughs> I've seen part two then, but yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different season. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, there was a big summer gap before people found that out. Huh? Well, yeah. there you go. I mean, I'm, look, okay, I'm not, I'm not a huge Simpsons aficionado, right? <laughs> and yeah, so that, that was it. That is the curious story of the death of Superman Lives. So, I mean, Ray, after listening to all that, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, do you have any feelings whatsoever about like any of what I've just said? Do you have anything to add to any of that at all? Or not really? Like I've seen the um, the 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 pictures of Nicolas Cage in the Superman suit and all of that. Like yeah. I'm intrigued, but I'm not going to go out there and 
seeking you, did anyone else because i i linked you guys a trailer that someone made a 3d um rendering mock-up trailer of the death of superman lives that someone did like did either any of you guys watch that <laughs> see the trailer but i saw they peppered bits if it is the same thing that i'm thinking of they peppered like mock-ups yeah. in the documentary of like scenes from it didn't they there's like bits where you've got someone pretending to be nick cage in the suit fighting brainiac in space and stuff with the disc against the sun like while they're talking about the production of the movie like towards the end of the documentary you remember what it's I'm not about? it's not the same thing as that this is like some fan has just done like a 3d render um trailer Oh, okay. um, and it's it's fucking bizarre because it's like it's like um it's like it's like video game like low budget video game stuff um mm. like a 3d render someone's just done the 3d models for it and it's like nick cage standing on the roof of the daily planet um in his superman costume mm. and it's just so weird so weird <laughs> but yeah it's such a, such a bizarre project such a bizarre thing and and that actually closes us out for the death and return of superman so um thank you guys for bearing with me and allowing me to get that out of my head yeah thank you thank you for coming with me on this journey i'm now gonna clean the blood and feces off my walls um <laughs> i was gonna say like all said and done like i'm glad we went through this uh both yes yeah, yes yeah. more specifically nightfall i i think it was a worthwhile use of my time for that at least yeah no i'm i'm glad we got through it i wanted to do this i wanted to present this to people i wanted people to kind of like look at it from because there's there's so many youtube channels you can go to to get comic book breakdowns of storylines and things and i wanted to do something a bit different um and i wanted to present this differently to how i presented nightfall and I feel like I I feel like we succeeded in that together. Mm. Um, so congratulations, guys, for making it to the end. <laughs> well done, um, and thank you for joining me on this journey through the death and return of Superman. And thank you to you, the listener, for joining us on this journey through the death and return of Superman in uh, honor of Superman's thirtieth anniversary. So, um, what I want to say to close this out completely in in conclusion is that this storyline. Um, through doing this has become more dear to me because I've managed to attach more context and everything to it and it's it's such a curious thing in comic book history and in such a curious time in comic book history and in what was going on in the industry that it's just such a such a um a standout thing as a as a complete storyline and I I just, I, I, I guess for all its flaws, there's a lot to love about it as well. And it does make you think about the character Superman in a, in a belabored way. You do, in the same way that Nightfall makes you consider and think what it is to be Batman, this makes you consider and think what it is to be Superman, although not as cleverly as Nightfall and a little bit more laborious and a little bit more kind of like clumsily, but it does the same thing. And it really does um, make you think about the importance of Superman as a cultural icon and as Superman, you know, a world and, and make you think about a world without Superman and, and make you th and, and how Superman is the figurehead of DC Comics and everything else. And, and to go right back to the beginning, like I was saying about how Superman is so, so integral to the history of comics anyway, being there from the start and being the very first what we consider superhero, the dawn of the golden age is 
Superman's first appearance on on racks and shelves. But it's just this this whole idea that you know this this is what it takes to show people how important this character is. And that's one way of looking at it. The other side of it is that it was a cash in. I in conclusion overall, like I want to be um idealist about this and I want to say that they did this to show us how important Superman was. And I want to hold on to it that way because that's what it did for me. And that's what I hope it has done for a lot of you. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it, it really does showcase that. And um, there will, there can never be another Superman. There can only be one Superman. There will never be another man like Clark Kent. Um, and, you know, to paraphrase the Crash Test Dummies song, um, it's... There'll never be a there'll never be a man like him. This is this is it. This is he is the the paragon of heroics, the greatest there ever was and ever will be. Um and something for other heroes like Batman to aspire to or resent, as sometimes Batman does. Um but without Superman, there's an awful lot of other characters and comics that wouldn't exist. And that's that's kind of where I'm going with this and kind of why I think this is important and special to me. And that's the conclusion I wanted to come to for this. So thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, that has been Ace Comicals. Uh, that is Ace Comicals, Death and Return of Superman. Over and out. <laughs>